Welcome to the Feel Strong Fitness Podcast. We help committed people stop wasting time and stop compromising on their goals. We build and rebuild strong people through one-on-one custom fitness solutions. No filler, no nonsense, and no time to waste. Let's talk about it. Hey, hello, and welcome to the Feel Strong Fitness Podcast. This week, we are interviewing Dr. Amy Novotny. Amy is a breathwork expert. She works with business owners, physicians, high-profile entrepreneurs, athletes, people in chronic pain and mental trauma, and uses breathwork and positioning, a really nice combination to alleviate pain, stress, anxiety, uh, issues with sleep, uh, helping people avoid surgeries, need for medications, Really, really interesting stuff. Amy was a great guest. I was very excited to have her. I'm very excited with how this interview came out, and you should listen up. If you want to get in contact with her, we're going to put all of her stuff in the show notes here, so just click through, but listen up. Dr. Amy Novotny on the Feel Strong Podcast. Dr. Amy Novotny, welcome to the Feel Strong Podcast. Thanks for having me, Justin. It's a pleasure to be here. Looking forward to sharing. I'm really excited to have you here. So I know you as a breathwork specialist, especially Mm -hmm. as getting people out of pain, but also related to performance. Can you tell people a little bit like how does one, how did you specifically get into working with breathwork? Right. So I started off getting a doctorate in physical therapy, did the rehab world. I worked as a physical therapist for quite a while. And then I was recruited to become a clinic director at a different clinic when I was in the Phoenix area. And at that time, I started learning a little bit more about your diaphragm and different asymmetries in the body through a program called the Postural Restoration Institute, so PRI as it's known. But I took it a step further and I started going into breathwork even more. I was training for marathons at the time. I'd run several and I was trying to qualify for the Boston Marathon. I was running eight miles on the treadmill several mornings a week and I just started playing with my breathing. And what I specifically worked on was different ways to breathe and what I could do with my body and also my rib cage position. And so I started studying about breath work, started studying about the nervous system, the fight or flight nervous system specifically. Hey, hello. And I realized that there was this huge connection between your fight or flight nervous system, how you breathe and how you position your body. And those three, when I connected them all together, I could get rid of pain in an instant. And I'd be on a treadmill running and all I could get rid of all that tightness. You're running for eight miles straight, you start to feel tight or something like that. I could get rid of it in just seconds. And I got off the treadmill and I thought to myself, really, really wow, I don't feel like stuff. I have to stretch. I don't have to foam roll. Very excited to have her. I don't have I'm to scrape. I don't have to do all these things out. that so normally as a physical up. therapist you want to get in tell your her, patients to do. Of her stuff in the show and so, notes, so you know, I had to do it a couple of times to realize, okay, I am feeling a difference here, but what is it that's going on? And so that's when I really started diving into studying about the fight or flight nervous system, breath work. And started piecing things together that so much is dependent on our rib cage position. The rib cage position determines whether or not you set off your fight or flight nervous system. Your rib cage position determines your mechanics of your breathing. And the mechanics of your breathing will also determine whether or not you set off your fight or flight nervous system. And so that's how I really started getting into it and I started playing with it on myself first as a guinea pig and then Later, I started working on patients when I was still doing physical therapy, 
And then eventually I started working on a process to go away from physical therapy into my own modality and start a business and start doing this with people all over the world. That's amazing. I love your connection with position and breath work. We do, we've been including in Feel Strong Breathwork stuff for about nine to 12 months now. Uh, we mm -hmm. went through a course with Dr. Lance Einerson, who uh, combines a lot of like breathwork, breathwork, pardon me, pain desensitization, but tying it to a lot of this positional stuff you're talking about. I think when people hear breathwork, they think belly breathing or maybe wearing a funny mask and that's it. Could you talk a little, could you expand mm -hmm. on what you mean by breathwork in this position a little bit? Yeah, so first there are, gosh, hundreds, thousands of ways to breathe. We often don't realize that. We think, okay, we breathe to get oxygen in our body. As soon as you stop getting oxygen in your body, you die. But breathing has a much more important role in your overall health. So there's a lot of different types. So a very common way that we hear is belly breathing. It's usually considered synonymous with diaphragmatic breathing. And I say, no, it's not. It's completely different. And so I say what I teach is working on getting the diaphragm to work, but it's dependent on your rib cage position. So if you think of it this way, if you are breathing in and you push your belly out, what you're doing is called abdominal distension. You're using your abdominal muscles to just shove on your belly to try to see if you can suck air into your lungs. Instead, if we can look at breathing where we get the rib cage to drop down and the side abs help hold it down, now you're gonna provide support for the walls of the diaphragm. And when that happens, the diaphragm dome can drop down. That creates a vacuum for air to be drawn into your body. So it's very different. So I tell people, you wanna let your belly fall out and relax out when you exhale. You don't wanna suck your gut in when you exhale because that's gonna lock you up. You want your belly to fall out as you exhale so your ribs drop down that sets the stage for supporting your diaphragm so you can inhale and it's not a grasp of air in, it's not lift, lifting your rib cage up to get air in, it's not using your shoulders, your back, your neck, it's truly using your diaphragm. And most people have shifted away from that style of breathing. We learn it, you know, we kind of were born and if you're a healthy young baby, healthy toddler, you breathe this way. But as soon as we're taught chest out, shoulders back, suck up your gut, or your breathing mechanics start to change and now you're gonna lead to tightness, you're gonna lead to your body being out of position which can eventually lead to pain. It can eventually lead to stress, anxiety, panic. It can lead to a whole slew of problems because the more you lift up your ribs and suck your gut up and in like that Superman posture we're taught, the more you're telling your body you're not calm, so your body's nervous system is gonna be ramped up, it's gonna make you tighter, it's gonna to lead to disease processes, all those types of things. So it's, it's really shifting the way we breathe by truly accessing the diaphragm. I love that. Now, I wanna uh, talk about the benefits of this in a moment, mm -hmm. but there's, there's some people listening right now who are in their living room, not to put you on the spot, mm -hmm. but is there like yeah. a two minute exercise we can put people through that they can with maybe a tactile cue or whatever they need to do, lay on the floor. Could you talk them through that? Yeah, we can do it. I usually start people seated. Um, this is something that I do present. I have, you know, Facebook group where I guide people in this and um, we can definitely do this. Any other position, that's something I do with people one-on-one because -on -one it, it requires me to watch their body and to see how their body's responding. But seated is very, 
um, easy for people to visualize and to get into that position. So let's say you're sitting in your living room. First thing I would say is sit back in your chair, get in a chair, try to get off your couch, sit in a chair that has a back to it. We try to get away from the, the straight vertical backs into one that's light, slightly tilted back. It's gonna be more comfortable for your body. So you wanna sit all the way back in your chair and you wanna get in the good position. This is critical that we get your back to turn off. So when you're sitting back in your chair and your feet are flat on the ground, look at your knees. Are they at the height of your hips or are they lower? If they're lower, you need to lower the chair or you need to put some books under your feet. You want the height of your hips to be at the crease of your hips or a little bit higher. Ideally a tiny bit higher because that allows your low back to relax so we can train you how not to use your back to breathe. And then when you're sitting there, I usually say let's use your hands because they're great tactile cueing. So put one hand on your chest, one hand on your belly. And from there we're going to work on breathing. And it's a four step process to start. It gets a lot more complicated but just to get into the rhythm, we're going to breathe in through the nose. Pause a second, blow out through your mouth, and then hold your breath and pause for three seconds. If you're just starting, you may not be able to hold your breath for three seconds. Because this is gonna be a new skill for you, your body may not accept it right away, so you might only be able to hold your breath after the exhale for one to two seconds, and that's okay. But what it looks like is you breathe in your nose, pause, Blow out through your mouth as if you have a straw in your mouth. Hear the air come out, then hold. Then breathe in. Gently breathe in your nose. Pause, then blow out. And hear the air coming out of the straw. And then as we get going, we're gonna breathe in gently. Feel the air go into your throat. Pause. Now blow out and feel your chest melt in away from your hand, feel your belly spill out. And then hold and breathe in, gently breathe in. Feel the air go in your nose to your throat. Pause, now blow out, feel your chest melt in, ribs drop down, belly spills out. Hold. And so we keep going that way and it keeps getting more involved as I walk a person through their body doing certain things. So it feels, you can feel your rib cage start to drop down. You can feel your body relax. And then once you have that skill, then you can start to train yourself on how to use your arm while you still feel your ribs dropping down, your body relaxing. Then you feel your legs start to do some work while you still have this pattern going through your trunk, through your rib cage. And so what it does is it starts to help you separate out parts of your body so you're no longer like this shrink-wrapped, you know, human, but you feel like your body's free-flowing, it can move, your hips can shift, your arms can reach, your trunk can twist. It's, it's helpful for getting people out of major surgeries, knee replacements, back surgeries, ACL tears, rotator cuff tears, you name it, it's helps people do it, so. That was wonderful, thank you very much. Yeah. And obviously a, uh, a very practiced tone there. You started mm -hmm. going and I kind of forgot I was interviewing someone, I was like, oh, I'm just breathing, <laughs> this, is, this is really good, I'm enjoying this. Uh, thank you very much for that. And I wanna dive right back to what you ended with, mm -hmm. getting people, you said getting people out of surgeries, and mm -hmm. I, I suspect you mean 
people have been recommended for surgeries or they something came up on some imaging or something like that, which looks bad. But the sim- the issue is really the pain they're in. And there are potentially other ways to deal with this that aren't cutting them open. I don't mean to put words in your mouth. Is that what we're talking yeah, about? Yeah, similar. So okay. I'll give you an, I'll give you an instance, um, an example. So back in this, will, and give this example because it's a longstanding example because sometimes think, oh, it's just a quick fix and it's, it's going to go away. So I worked with a lady, she was in her early seventies back in 2016. She was scheduled for a knee replacement. She had had decades of pain. She had been doing daily anti-inflammatories, three injections per year, the hyaluronic acid, Synvisc injections. And she's in the medical world, psychologist. And she also traveled around the world doing wildlife photography. So she was you know, going up and down hills, going in and out of Zodiacs, all these things. And before a major trip, she had to get an injection. And she was doing this for years. And so we started working together and I said, we have to calm down your nervous system. And her knee was so painful, she didn't even want me to touch it. She's like, don't even touch my knee. I said, okay. So we started working together and we worked on her rib cage position, changing the way she breathes, the way she could relax her back and change the way that she could sense and feel her thigh muscles working. We also worked on her arms too because her shoulder was part of it. And within one visit, she came back the next time and she said, how quickly is this supposed to work? And I said, well, I expect you to feel a change every time I work with you. And she said, well, my pain is gone. I don't really believe this. Maybe it's a fluke, but my pain is gone. And I said, okay, that's fine. So we worked again and she came back the next time and she said, okay, seriously, the pain is not there. And I said, yes, but you haven't truly changed your nervous system yet because we're doing stuff to you, you're practicing, but it hasn't sunk in. You don't feel the essence of what we're doing. So we have to keep working. And by the second week, she canceled her surgery. And this was in June of 2016. She was scheduled for surgery in August, 2016. Since we started working, she has never used another pain medication. She has never had another injection. She's gone to Antarctica. She's gone to Svalbard, Norway in the Arctic. She's been all over the world. And she has not had the issue since then. She's climbed in and out of Zodiac. She climbed hills that she wasn't climbing before. And I have other examples. I have a young naturopath in the Phoenix area. Same thing. He tore his MCL, ACL, slight tibial fracture. Same thing. He came in, knee was bent. He was in a brace, got him to calm down his nervous system. Again, I didn't really work on his knee with that, the psychologist lady. I didn't even touch her knee and I still haven't touched her knee. But with this, this naturopath, I got him to calm down, relax some of the muscles that were in that guarded protective state. He walked out without his brace and his leg being straight. Five, five visits later, he was walking normally. Three visits after that, he was back to playing tennis, never had surgery, and that was back in 2019. So, I mean, what we're doing is when you think about an injury, when you have an injury or pain that develops, your body goes into a protective state. We often are not aware of that happening. We often can't feel muscles putting us in that guarded state. These are things that happen without our awareness. And so what we have to do is is get back in touch with that process and calm it down and get rid of it. So the bones and the muscles can act properly. And so it allows for healing because often a lot of pain that's insidious and that creeps up on us It's because of the nervous system causing muscles to behave differently that causes tissues to pinch together that results in pain. 
the arthritis is not always the cause of the pain. It's how your body is positioned and how ramped up you are. So we can use breathing to calm that down and to teach you how to behave differently. Those are great stories. And just for listeners, listeners will know that I have a reputation of being pretty skeptical on this podcast. And I am all in on this. We are not talking about, Amy is not talking about like casting blessings over someone. We are literally manipulating position and manipulating your nervous system to decrease your overall stress with a capital S level and bring it down. A lot of times when we talk about an injury or something happening, uh, we, we talk about a, an athlete or a, someone exceeding their capacity. You can only hold this much stuff. We have, you know, some things we can't get rid of, you know, things you were born with, you twisted your ankle 12 times in high school, whatever. And then all of the, your wants and needs, you know, you go to work, you wake up, you sit at a desk all day, you go to the gym, you do all these things. And then, you know, you're at the gym and your, your ninth squat hurts your back. You're like, ah, I hurt myself squatting. I always hurt myself squatting. No, like, yes, the squat was the inciting incident, but you popped over that line of what you can handle. And if we can decrease that amount of stress you're carrying around, which I think is, is partly what you're talking about, people being all wound up living in this sympathetic state for yes. enormous amounts of time when it's only supposed to be like running from cougars and when the house is on fire, yes. but they're carrying on this huge amount of stress. So they're way, way, way too close to that capacity line all of the time. And people feel like they can't do things, especially as they get older, which I wanna to talk to you about. Like people feel like it's all going away, but really we're just, we're, we're way too close to that capacity and there's some relatively, not, not simple, but straightforward things they can do to manipulate that. Yes, you have it exactly right, Justin. It completely and utterly right. You, you understand. And it's, it's scary to think we are cut open. We're given medications. We're doing it. We're given injections when we have the tools and I mean this truly and honestly, I've seen it so many times. We have the tools to change that. But the problem is if we think about our body, we have a bony structure, okay, that we have that. The thing that controls that bony structure and how it's positioned are our muscles. The thing that controls our muscles are our nerves. So we can apply a lot of external modalities like physical therapy, chiropractic, stretching, strengthening, you name it, there's a plenty of out there that help people. Now that's applying something from the external. And that's often why, especially the clients I work with, they'll come to me and they're like, well, I've tried all these different things, nothing works or nothing holds. And it's because they're applying something externally to the body, but they're not changing the nervous system, which results in the muscles changing their hold on your bones and joints. And that's, that's what's critical. And something that you mentioned is, we have a certain reserve capacity. If your body is in a state of fight or flight mode and then you add in work issues, relationship issues, kid issues, whatever issues, now your body just keeps ramping up and you eventually get to the sympathetic threshold. And most people hover right around this threshold. They bounce up and because something happened, they wake up the next morning, they have pain. And they may go to a physical therapist, chiropractor, massage therapist, and it brings them back down enough until the next stressor comes in their life, pops them right back up. And those modalities are fabulous. I used to do physical therapy, so I understand. It's, they're, they're great, they help people. And the thing is, do you want to change permanently? Do you want to have control over your body so you don't have to have that surgery? Some people don't don't want to do the work. And I'm completely supportive of that. If you want to have the surgery that cuts you open, creates space for you, 
and buys you more time, that's fine. Just be aware that your nervous system is still going to operate the same way if you have surgery because you haven't changed yourself internally. And so whatever someone's journey is, however they want to approach their health, I'm totally fine with that. But if you want to change your internal wiring, then by all means, let's get to work. That's really thoughtful. I really, uh, I really appreciate that approach of like understanding that some people, and we run into it with people. I just had a conversation with a client a couple of days ago who is going to have surgery and, and is far from my place to talk anyone out of surgery. But I did suggest that there were some other things they could do. And for a number of reasons, including they're just sort of at the end of their rope, they've decided it's the only thing to do. And, they're, and we're going to deal with that. We're going to help them through it provide some okay. strategies and get them back, uh, you know, speed their recovery up in some ways that we know how. Uh, for people listening to this who are more on like the performance athletic side of things, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes the breathwork stuff gets confusing. Certainly there are some like cardiorespiratory benefits. Mm -hmm. And I know you have a, a remarkable running history. I want to talk about that. Mm -hmm. Could you talk about like the mindset, anxiety, panic benefits of someone who is ostensibly healthy, but could really use some sort of work around performance. Right. So one thing that's great about some type of workout, fitness, endurance type of program is you push yourself to the limits to calm yourself down. So there are different ways that we try to get ourselves to calm down. Sometimes it's pushing ourselves to exhaustion. So that way your nervous system has to fall down a couple steps. But with anxiety and uh, panic, one of the things that we have to look at is, does movement help you? Does breath work help you? Visualization, mindset. There, so there's, it's a multifactorial approach, especially with anxiety and, and panic. Is are, Do you have things in your past that are still plaguing you right now? Do you talk to yourself in a negative way that leads to the neurochemistry changing towards a negative viewpoint? But the other thing I tell people is often when I work with people with panic and anxiety, their chest is so far prominent and they have lifted their rib cage up so high that they can't calm down because the rib cage position will not dictate it. So if your body position dictates that you're in fight or flight mode, your panic and anxiety is going to have a hard time to actually get out of your body because a lot of a lot of stress anxiety and panic are stored in different places of the body common places are right in the breastbone right under the breastbone at your xiphoid process in your armpits and in the front of your hips in your hip flexor region your groin area it's where we hold a lot of our trauma a lot of our anxiety a lot of our stress and so if your breastbone is really prominent you can feel a difference. You can feel like it puts you on edge, especially if you stick your chest out. So imagine you exist like that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Eventually your body says, okay, guess what? I'm gonna talk to you and I'm gonna make you pay attention to me until you change. And that's literally what anxiety and panic is. It's saying, we're not gonna let you function in your daily life. We're gonna make you focus on your body until you make a change and change your lifestyle change your body position, change the way you breathe, possibly even change what you eat because there are definitely foods that will trigger a sympathetic, parasympathetic response. So we have to really look at that as well. Um, but the first thing before anything is body position. Are you set up for fight or flight or not? With that body position, do you think about 
like how that affects lung capacity or does that not really come into it? It does. It does. So if you think about, okay, so let's say your rib cage is elevated. Okay. If your rib cage is elevated and you're used to using your ribs to lift up to breathe, that's going to allow for a certain amount of negative pressure for air to flow into your lungs. Okay. Eventually you can't lift your ribs up anymore. So it's not like you're really going to get a deep breath in. It's going to be more shallow, but a lot of people don't realize that until they get to the point where they feel like they're shoulder short of breath or they feel like they can't calm down or they feel like they're 120 years old because they can't move. But now if we get the rib cage down, where it's supporting the diaphragm walls, now you have the dome of the diaphragm dropping down in a strong and a, more, a deeper manner. So that's gonna allow air to really get into your lungs and to go through all your alveoli, to those little air sacs. And a lot of people also, this is also really tied into the rib cage position. Imagine we're taught to keep your back straight and flat. A lot of people don't like the idea of having curves in their back. So they're like, okay, I need to have a straight flat back. Well, guess what? The more you tone up those muscles and you teach them to be contracted all the time, now you're blocking the back of your lungs, the posterior lungs from expanding the way they need to. So that curvature in your upper back and the thoracic spine, it should be there. And the muscles should be able to relax enough to allow your lungs to extend, extend posteriorly instead of just being pushed forward in your trunk. And it's very, very critical. Most people, when I, I'll put them in a different position, I'll say, if you curl up in a ball, can you feel your lungs expand backwards? Most people can't. They just feel like they're suffocating because they're only used to pushing their lungs forward. So this does affect their capacity. With that, uh, I, I've had exactly the same experience. We talk about it with um, circumferential expansion, which is way mm -hmm. too long a word. I need to find a better way to say that. <laughs> but having people like, you know, put your hands on the sides of your lower ribs and like push mm -hmm. outward, put, push anywhere but through your belly button, basically, mm -hmm. for breathing. With In the breathing exercise you walked people through earlier, we kept people um, out of air, hypoxic for, uh, for a couple of seconds. Mm -hmm. That's a place I found a lot of people have a hard time hanging out and occasionally like, even induce panic or, or anger or some sort of mm -hmm. emotional response is how do you see, I'm trying to, to formulate a question around stress. Mm -hmm. I think of, and I've been taught that uh, carbon dioxide is, is sort of the stress messenger of the body in a lot of ways and your ability to tolerate or not tolerate it can have a big effect on how you deal with that stress through this breath work. Does that resonate with you? Yeah. And, and that's a big factor too. So, when we're thinking about your ribs dropping down and you're pausing, you that's one thing, as I mentioned, you may not be able to hold for a couple seconds. So when I'm shifting someone's breathing pattern, there is a process to it. I don't go in and say, you're gonna change your exhalation and your inhalation all at the same time. You can't change the way you inhale until you change the way you exhale. Because the exhalation is gonna promote relaxation so I say, breathe in whatever you need to breathe in. There's different cues and techniques we work on to change the, the way you inhale so you stop lifting up your ribs, but you can't even start that until your rib cage is down, which is what you work on during the exhalation. And so there's a process to it for people with stress and anxiety and panic. We don't go in and say, okay, we're gonna change everything about you because that's gonna just elicit more panic as you mentioned. It's gonna elicit more anxiety we have to do it in baby steps. 
And there are different techniques and cues that we use and especially different positions because someone who's suffering from panic, highly likely they're not going to feel their belly button fall out. Someone who has anxiety, they're not going to feel their belly button relaxing because they're so used to sucking it up and in to hold them in a protective state that they cannot feel that immediately. And so depending on a person, I may try something on you, Justin, that I may do differently on someone else. It really depends on how triggered a person is too and how much anxiety. And sometimes people are huge high achievers and they have anxiety and they have no idea where it comes from. I've, I've worked with physicians, high level physicians who have businesses and they, they've been high achievers their whole entire life. Well, they hit that threshold and their body said, no more, you're going to listen to me. And it takes a lot, again, a multifactorial approach to try to bring them out of that so they can be in their body again and exist. But truly, we do not change inhalation for a little bit because I don't want to encourage more anxiety and more panic. That's so smart. And I love that you that you noted that it really is like an individualized approach. We're big believers. I mean, basically everything Feel Strong does is custom one-on-one -on -one from the ground up because everyone has different needs, different capacities, different, and it can change sort of day-to-day, week-to-week. On And to wildly generalize, I just said this is super individualized. Now we're going to generalize yeah. how this is obviously something that takes a lot of practice, which I think is part of the reason you start people like seated or on the ground. How much practice, how often do people have to work on this before they can put it into practice like, walking down the street or sitting in a tough meeting or going into a athletic competition? Yeah, so I usually tell people we're gonna start the day doing it for about five minutes, then try to do it five minutes before lunch, before dinner, and then before you go to bed. So if we can get five minute practices four times a day, that starts to break up your nervous system. And then usually I'll work with people once a week. I'll give them a program, say go do that, and start practicing that. Depending on a person, it depends on, can a person feel stuff? There's a lot of people that can't feel some of the things that I'm talking about, so it's gonna take them longer to get to the next stage, and we're constantly adjusting based on their body. We may have them on their hands and knees, on their side, different places. But what happens is over a couple weeks, they start to feel their body shifting. And something that we did the first week becomes very easy to them. So I want them practicing seat, seated positioning from the get-go. And so they can start to use that when they're in, the, in their work environment and even start to begin to implement that in a stressful meeting. Something like walking, that's requiring balance, that requires locomotion, that requires a lot of different skills. So I usually don't start that in the first couple weeks because if a person's learning how to calm down their nervous system and breathe differently, they need to learn how to access their leg muscles without ramping their nervous system up. So we have to go through that, as well as how to use their arms differently. So putting that together, their legs, their arms, plus their breathing, walking may be a couple weeks out where they're, where they're truly feeling the difference. I'll give them cues and stuff and get them to start focusing on things related to position but when I want to combine position plus nervous system plus breathing, that's going to be a little bit later in the program. That makes perfect sense. And it's, mm -hmm. and certainly like a couple of weeks is in, you know, a training cycle, like that's nothing. Like being yeah. able to put like, you're describing less than 20, 20 minutes of work spread throughout the day and seeing, noticing differences 
uh, it sounds like almost immediately, and certainly mm-hmm. after a couple of weeks and being able to expand and expand and expand. Uh, and certainly listeners will recognize this from some of the stuff we do of like, you know, you may start at one weight and four weeks later, that feels easy. Well, why did it feel so hard four weeks ago? Because we've, we've, we've adapted and where your capacity is growing. And ideally, those two things at the same time, we're lowering your stress level and raising your capacity. So now you can do anything you want to do. Uh, speaking of anything you want to do, you've done all of the marathons. Is it, do you know, how many marathons have you done? Um, I'm over 40. I, I've kind of <laughs> lost track. I, I stopped counting. So I'm over 40 at some point. Um, and that doesn't include ultra marathons. That's a separate, I've done 10 of those. 10 ultras? Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, Up to 103 miles. So yes. Holy, that's, mm-hmm. that's forever. How long does that take? How long does the 103 mile race take? Uh, it depends. So the first time <laughs> I, I did it, <laughs> I, the first time I did it, it was a considered a 24 hour race. How far okay. could you run in 24 hours? So it's a loop course. And I did it five weeks after I had done an Ironman triathlon. So I was, I was trained. I hadn't before that, I, the longest I had run was a year prior was 32 miles. And so I made it 103 miles in third, was it 22 hours and 38 minutes. Um, the second time I did a hundred miler, that was in the mountains and that one took me longer. That was 29 hours and I think 40 minutes. And I ran a really fast marathon about six days beforehand to requalify for the Boston marathon. So I was going into this, this hundred miler in 2017, a little bit, not painful, just a little bit sleepy. Um, by the time I got to mile 60, I was just like, my eyes just want to sleep. And, um, I felt fine just other than I was sleepy. Um, so, you know, I taxed my body out, but I made it and it was fine. And I recovered. I went out running the next day. And again, it's all about, I worked on my nervous system. I kept it calm so I could get through the event and, um, yeah, just, it was a challenge that I wanted to accomplish. I mean, it's, it's an incredible challenge. Now, uh, people are, if I don't ask, I'm going to get emails about it. How do you deal with that in the middle of, of, of something like that? I've, I've done, done anything like what you've done. I've done four marathons, mm-hmm. but even I like around mile 16, like that can be a challenging mental place to be. I don't even understand being, you know, partway through mile 55. How do you deal with, uh, deal with that mentally, including like staying mm-hmm. out of pain? We started you talked about being in pain, running eight miles on a treadmill, mm-hmm. and now you're 55 miles out. How mm-hmm. how do you even approach that and putting these practices into that in, in such a, a heightened, challenging state? It, it does, does take some practice. You know, I definitely, this is, I teach other people this. I teach runners this as well. It's, it's becoming really in tune with your body. So to get to mile 55, on mile five, mile 10, you know, I'm periodically checking in with myself. Okay. Do I feel like my rib cage can still drop down? Does it feel like my hips are moving freely as I step? Do I still feel my heel strike, which activates my hamstring, which keeps my pelvis in neutral? Like I'm, I'm doing check-ins. And there'll be times where it's like, oh shoot, I, I lost track of what I was doing. I'm watching the cactus or the trees or whatever, and I start to feel some kind of pain or if I'm running on a slant. And so then it brings me back down to reality and say, okay, I feel a pain here. I'm going to practice my breathing. I'm going to feel my heel strike. I'm going to feel different things to get myself out of pain. And then within a few minutes, okay, the pain went away. So I'm going to keep working on it to keep my body in neutral, at least for the next several minutes before my mind starts to wander again. And 
And then that'll be periodically like in uh, in an ultra where you have an aid station. You you most people with ultras will typically stop to get a little bit of food. During that time, I'm doing a specific type of squat where I'm practicing the breathing to to put my body back in neutral again. And so then I pop back up and off I go and I go on to the you know to the next segment until the next aid station. And so there is a process to it and constantly checking in. If I feel this pain, I do this. If I do feel this, I do this. That's wonderful. And it sounds like it certainly would take a lot of practice to, you know, we talk about like trying to achieve flow state and finding that place mm -hmm. and to be able to, to check in on yourself. What I hear you describing is being able to detach a little bit and sort of objectively look at what's going on. Like, I don't know, how's Amy doing? Uh, Amy should really like work on her, her, pelvis positioning a little bit we're getting a little bit lazy or tired or oh yeah oh good that fixed it and then you can come back in and continue to execute yes it's all about are you really calm if you're not calm you know something's going to creep up you start to feel tightness somewhere so you want to get on that as soon as you start to feel that happen because that's just going to prolong your ability to run fast for a long period of time and it it does take some practice I wouldn't recommend saying, okay, I'm going to go practice Amy's breathing and I'm going to go run 10 miles. I wouldn't do that because it's going to stress you out trying to implement something that you're not comfortable doing. And so much is let's get this to be a habit in your body so that you feel comfortable with it before we start to work on, okay, your right knee pain in the middle of a 50 mile run. Yeah, it almost has to be a, like an ingrained muscle memory at that point. You can't, yes. if you start insisting on yourself to be calm, your first time in a stressful mm -hmm. situation, it's definitely going to work the other way. You have to Absolutely. be able to be pretty good at that. Mm -hmm. How do you, if you're working one-on-one -on -one with someone, how do you ass like assess a client? How do you decide what kind of person they are, the right way forward, those sorts of things? Yeah, so this is all through Zoom. So I have clients all over mm -hmm. the world and it's through Zoom. The first session is an hour and a half because I wanna take the time to get to know you. We go through your medical history, mental health history, social history, activities, all of that. Um, even, you know, what's your training program that you're doing? And then I have people, I watch them. I have them do specific movements, different things that are common every every day life activities. And we go through that. So I'm assessing that. And then we'll, I'll explain a person's, um, what their body mechanics, what their position is showing. And we go through that in detail before we start to change them. So all of this we record through Zoom. So they're very familiar with what's going on. And when they have the recordings, they can see their progress over time. They can see how their body was positioned and how it's transformed into a new existence. That's so great. It sounds like you have a, a wide ranging sort of client base. Do you have mm -hmm. a kind of person that you find is naturally attracted to your work? Um, I would say anyone who is more interested in avoiding surgery, injections, medications. And I say that generally because I see everything. I, I work with kids and their parents, kids who have ADHD. I work with um, people who have stress, anxiety. I work with people who want to avoid surgeries or, just, or chronic pain. I, and it's every age group, gender, culture, you name it. I get it. Are there ever people that you you absolutely have to go hands-on with that you you say they need to come to you or bring you to them or something um it's more of a person's preference okay. it's i would say it's more of i don't need to be hands-on unless it's someone like who has dementia who can't process and um remember 
though that type of situation, I would need to do more hands-on to help their body learn stuff. Um, but there, there are certain people who would rather just be hands-on and they will fly to and do like a two day intensive with me and that's fine. And they'll, they'll come to wherever I'm at. Um, that's still a possibility. So. It's so cool that you work with dementia patients. Yeah. Yeah. It's anyone can be helped as long as you're breathing, but it just someone with dementia, it just takes a little bit longer and it does use, I have to use my hands to get their ribs in the correct position to elicit a response. That's incredible. Yeah. There is not exactly tied to dementia, but I, there is a lot of, I, I've certainly found as people get older, as clients age a little bit and not like, not particularly old people, they are more and more accepting of their pain. Is there a, and I'm, I'm, I push back relatively hard against that being something people need to accept. How do you feel about that sort of like pain, pain always comes with aging or aging always comes with pain, understanding that we know we have some tools to manipulate this? Yeah. And I'm, I'm right there with you. I mean, I'm glad to hear that you say that. I was just with a client and she's like, you know, I'm getting older. I just assume the pain is just part of my life. And I'm like, no, I never say aging equates pain. Aging equates your nervous system being more and more ramped up and you're losing the ability to sense it calming down. That's a common thing that happens, but aging does not equal pain. Pain is a signal from your body to your brain that something is out of position or off and tissues are pinching together or space is being taken up by something. If it's an organic, like a tumor, space is being taken up, tissues are still pinching. But pain is a signal that something is out of position or off in your body. And is the more that we absorb that mantra and take that into our belief system, the more we realize, okay, I can do something about this. Sometimes it's more complicated and I don't in any way want to belittle someone who's had chronic pain, but just know that you've had layers and layers upon compensations plus the stress and anxiety. It might take longer to get you out of the situation you're in but they do not equate it with aging at all. That is great. I love that. Relearning skills is hard, but there is hope and there are tools that you have within you that we can already use to move forward and get you out of pain and create more space so you can keep saying yes to all the things you want to say yes to in your life. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Dr. Novotny, this is amazing. I really, really appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on. How should, uh, plug all of the things, you have so many things, how should people get in touch with you, first of all, if they're interested in this, if they want to do some work? Yeah, so I, I tell people to reach out to me by email. I like to have connections with people. So email me, amy, A-M-Y, at paberinstitute.com. That's P-A-B-R, institute.com. Let me know what's going on, if you need some free resources or want to get on a 15-minute free consultation or even just get going and start working together. Either way, we can figure out what your needs are. That's perfect. Nice and easy. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Dr. Novotny, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Dustin. It was a pleasure to be there. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate your subscriptions. Your written reviews make a big difference. Thank you for those. Please keep them coming. Drop five stars while you're there. If you find these podcasts helpful, share them with friends. Send it on. We love it when this stuff gets shared outside of our bubble, outside of you folks. Any feedback, hit us up on Instagram at feelstrongfit on Instagram. DMs are open there for all of your questions and feedback. More questions about the program or you're ready to get started, feelstrong.me is the website. 
feelstrong.me. If you're ready to make a change, if you're ready to feel better than you have in a long time, get in touch. My name is Justin McClintock. Feel strong. Feel strong.